Hi, it's Maxim here. In this webinar replay you will learn from Cameron Bagri, who is a well-known New Zealand economist. He'll share his insights on what is likely gonna happen with the New Zealand economy. Is there a property bubble? Is there a stock market bubble? And at the end you will learn how to invest your money better. As always, appreciate if you support this channel hit the like button subscribe so you don't miss the next video and i hope you enjoy this webinar thank you welcome everybody and i hope you are very busy uh and i say that because there's about 30 billion dollars that has appeared in deposits across the banking sector since the start of the year and it's not in term deposits because term deposit numbers are falling it's all being hoarded in savings and transaction balances and what that sort of tells me is that look people are hoarding liquidity uh, they're deferring some plan investment if they're in business but it also tells me there's an awful lot of uncertainty up there and people are pretty nervous uh, hence the need for getting quality financial advice now there's a whole lot of things that i'm thinking about i'm going to take you through some some bigger picture issues yeah one thing that's niggling me has been for a while has been the whole balance between the economic and the social side of the ledger and obviously the reserve bank's going pretty big with the bazooka but of course that's exacerbating some pretty big pre-covid themes housing unaffordability and income inequality yeah we're still in the disruptive age and we see more and more drive and need for change economists are talking more about what's called the k-shaped cycle where you want to be a firm on the top of the k you're moving up as opposed to a firm that's sort of old school and on the bottom of the cave. It looks to me like markets are becoming pretty edgy. I think there's some real reasons for that. COVID, yes, we've come out of lockdown part two, but there's still a way to go. I'm starting to think a lot more about supply, you know, the building blocks of your economy, um, getting labour, uh, sourcing materials around the globe. So I'm just going to provide a bit of an update on that. And yeah, when your economy is vulnerable, going through difficult times, yeah, some real weaknesses can be exposed. And I'm just going to throw one out there that's really worrying me at the moment. Economists talk about the income effect. I don't talk too much about the substitution effect. Uh, the substitution effect has been massive this time around. And of course, the Reserve Bank's got the pedal to the metal, but at what costs and is society going to, going to push back? And I've started to run some numbers in regard to how we're going to pay back the debt on the other side and it's not pretty uh, looks to me like taxes at some stage are going to follow the Edmunds cookbook and be sure to rise so if we look at a start if I can get this thing moving yeah the economic versus the social side of the ledger look pre-covid yeah there was a whole lot of social based issues out there housing affordability income inequality uh, the share of the economic pie was it a debate that was intensifying so if we look at yeah, the, the share that was accruing to labour, you know, what we call as compensation of employees. If you look at the world's biggest economy, you know, America, that had been on a declining trend for about 40 years. Now, that declining trend has actually been one of the big reasons we've seen you know, more and more deflationary forces over time, and because capital share has been moving up, uh, but labour share in the form of wages compensation has actually been diluted over time. Because what we're now starting to see, particularly in countries such as New Zealand, is that there's more and more, I guess, drive or appetite 
for a bit of that rebalancing, whether that be through things such as a minimum wage or an additional you know, national holiday, or you know, one that was you know, espoused pre the election, an additional five days sick leave. And you can pretty well guarantee that for some people, you know, five days sick leave, if it goes to 10, well, they'll take all 10. You know, Post-COVID, what we're seeing is an obviously accelerated change. You know, we've seen, if you look at the gap between the performance of the NASDAQ versus the Dow Jones Industrial Average, you know, old versus new, if you're, in a, if you're a digitized online platform, you've been off to the races. If you're old school, well, you're, you're really struggling. One of the things that's really bugging me at the moment is that acceleration in the, between the gaps, between the haves and the have-nots, which is a byproduct of the policy mix. Now, I'm going to talk later on, but I think monetary policy is doing far too much and fiscal policy is not enough. You know, the good news is that both of them stepped up to the plate, but I just don't think the balance is, is right. You know, monetary policy turbocharges asset prices, which is what we call the, the wealth effect. It's worked really well. Uh, I think monetary, sorry, fiscal policy could be a lot more direct and influential in regard to shaping the job market. I just picked up, here's the share price the other day, just to highlight a key theme. And the key theme is that irrespective of your view of whether it's a bubble or it's telling us something, it is going on. And it personifies rapid change. If I go back and have a look at the early 2000s, we saw a collision between you know, telecom, telecommunications, uh, information technology and the media. And they all needed to change their business models, particularly media and telecommunications. So you know, that was the death of telecom and the, and the birth of sort of spark, spark ventures, these sort of things. If I have a look at you know, where we're going to see collisions going forward, we're going to see a lot of them. You know, my old sector banking is being challenged by you know, digitization of their products. But one of the ones that I'm thinking about going forward is, is the collision between the energy sector, uh, transport and information technology. And uh, the good old motor vehicle is going to be at the epicenter of that collision. And that, I guess, what sort of personifies some of the stuff we're seeing in regard to, to Tesla. Now, now, I'm not an expert in this space, but I can tell you one thing, is that the pace of change is going exponential, and that means firms need to be in an exponential thinking pattern as opposed to a linear one. And one of the things that I'm thinking about in regard to my own investment portfolio is that how do you invest in a disruptive and uncertain world? And one of the tests that I'm using at the moment is that you've got to stay away from those complacent businesses. And the problem we've got at the moment is that how do we measure that? And if I have a look, and I think I've used this chart before just to highlight that there was a lot of complacency in New Zealand pre-COVID. About 43% of firms had been disrupted in the past two to five years, whereas firms looking forward expected less disruption, which is just not consistent with the exponential world that we reside in. Now, the good news is that we are seeing a lot of accelerated change. I think the reality has started to sink in, but we've got a bit of a gap out there at the moment in regard to how do we assess businesses, you know, the innovation they're showing, you know, to make sure that they're ready for the for an environment going forward. You know, there, there is that old sort of adage, you know, firms now need to innovate at a faster pace than the disruptors can get distribution capability. Yeah, how do we measure that? Yeah, how, how do we assess that? And I'm still thinking, you know, through my own mindset in regard to how do I try to get through in my own head 
measures, benchmarks that give me an idea about whether businesses are embracing that sort of change or they're still a little bit more old school. I think things are starting to get pretty interesting around the globe. You know, the global economy is still very lopsided. You've got Americans that love to spend in big parts of the, the rest of the globe, Japan, Germany, et al. They're just channeling all their money into good old Uncle Sam. Now, ultimately, it's, a, it's an unsustainable position, but it's not just about the world being unbalanced. You look at the US election, you know, the debate over the stimulus package, COVID-19 is very clearly accelerating around the globe. We're going to go through another bout where supply chains are going to get disrupted, braced for that in about two to three months. Yeah, central banks are removing credit risk from the system, which to me just seems absolutely insane. I think they've overstepped the mark. The counterbalance is that liquidity is still looking for a home. You've got an awful lot of money around the globe that's sitting in cash and the investment alternatives well, they don't offer much. In fact, they offer pretty well Zippo. So what's the end game there? You've got an investor market that's very confused and markets that, to me, are looking increasingly on edge. Do I have a firm view out there in regard to where they're going? I don't think anybody can have a firm view at the moment, but yeah, from a risk-return perspective, I'm not convinced the outlook is up. I've pulled together this just to highlight there's a lot going on in New Zealand, and it's probably easier to put it all on one page as opposed to a whole lot of chart. Yeah, the key point is that there is an awful lot of positives amongst what is a, a pretty large list of negatives as well, and a not. Now, pat on the back, New Zealand, we've come out of lockdown part two, but it'd be a pretty big punter to bet against there not being lockdown part three. Yeah, because the reality is this thing is is very hard to contain. But the good news is that New Zealand is that we're pretty well COVID free in an environment where the global economy is getting increasingly ravaged by that, that. And it's not just about health, it's about us managing to keep our supply chains open. Now, so the market wants our stuff. So you know, exports in New Zealand are roughly trading in line with where they were in 2019. Now, the input side of the ledger is well under 2019. And that partly reflects we can't get the goods, and I'll talk about that down the track. But yeah, we've got huge fiscal stimulus, lower and lower interest rates. The Reserve Bank is signaling loud and clear that they want to deliver. I'm not convinced that's the right strategy, but I'm here to sort of you know, pick what the Reserve Bank's going to do, not what I think they should do. One of the good things about this year was we entered into a downturn with pent-up demand in housing. You know, normally we build too many houses at the top of the cycle. This time around, we want, weren't building enough. And that's given us a bit of a buffer you know, to work through those tougher times. You know, we didn't have too many worrying imbalances. I think in pre a previous uh, Zoom meeting, I've talked about you know, the traffic lights across New Zealand. We had a mixture of reds, orange, and green. Yeah, we had some worry points, dairy sector debt. But we had an awful lot of greens. You know, leverage had actually been contained over the past few years. In fact, corporates look under-leveraged. Yeah, that's actually been a blessing when we're taking the big liquidity squeeze over 2020. Commodity prices have held up, although caveat on that one, we're now starting to see uh, the price of red meat in particular is coming crashing down. So if you like your eye fillet steak and you like your uh, lamb rack, uh, the good news is they're getting cheaper. Well, that's not, of course, that 
not that great news for the farming sector out there, but the mainstay of New Zealand's exports are still dairy and they're, they're holding up. Uh, but yeah, we need to acknowledge the challenges. You know, the labor market still looks pretty fragile. Uh, the level of GDP is well below where it was in 2019. Yeah, the price of credit's not an issue, but you know, the willingness of banks to lend is, uh, particularly into what's called the productive part of the economy. You know, that's the agriculture and your business sector. A lot easier to get a housing loan across New Zealand. Uh, that might be good for housing, but I'm not sure that it's good for the productive balance across New Zealand. You know, we worked through lockdown part one, lockdown part two, but the real hits in regard to COVID with the tourism sector and migration and commodity prices, yeah, they are late 2020 and 2021 stories. So we're still in the early stages of feeling the after effects. So the lockdown part one was successful. We went through a V-shaped response. The bungee cord was attached. We saw the benefit of all those Kiwis that rushed home and the March quarter, about 33,000 uh, net migration inflow in the March quarter alone. So of course, they're out there hoovering up cars, houses as soon as they could. But the annual migration numbers to June 2020 were about 80,000. But about 95% of that occurred over 12 months. You know, the migration numbers in the past four months are basically down to a trickle. You know, they're running about 400 a month. You know, so there was one hell of an inflow in the early stages. But now, you know, the people are not coming in the door. And of course, you know, people are starting to go home on the other side as well. Your lockdown part two, I think, is a reality check, uh, particularly for Auckland. Uh, you know, didn't really flow into the regions. In fact, the regions have been remarkably resilient. Uh, sector I'm keeping a pretty close eye on at the moment is the commercial property market. In Auckland, there's been a 30% rise in commercial leases since April 2020. Uh, down three is shutdown, and we haven't really experienced down three yet. Yeah, you know, that's late 2020. That's when the tourism sector really feels the pinch. Because normally over November, December, January, February, March, April, yeah, that's when the tourists roll in and there's a lot more of them coming in relative to New Zealanders going out overseas. Yeah, over the winter months, more New Zealanders travel overseas than foreigners come in. Yeah, so we've actually had more people here over winter. And we've been deploying that cash locally as opposed to internationally. Well, that's going to turn around and it's turning around pretty aggressively over the next two to three months. Yeah, immigration, of course, that's been a big driver. Yeah, it's been a bums on seat style model, but if I have a look at net migration in the June quarter, it was basically a trickle of what we were previously seeing. And as I said, the monthly inflow is down to 400 per month. Uh, we're starting to see the impact of a slower global scene. Uh, primarily it's coming through a few commodities at the moment, the likes of wool, red meat, venison, lamb rack, uh, we're starting to mince uh, steak because people don't want the upper end steak cuts, but they still want the, the mince-based products around the globe. So uh, the product's still going out, but we're certainly not getting the same price on the other side. But as I said, that the mainstay of New Zealand's exports are still daring, and the dairy sector's got all the debt, and the dairy prices for now are holding up and looking remarkably resilient. 
I think I've talked about this before, but I wanted to sort of set the scene in regard to where we are and the critical things that are going to drive the social cord recovery. Now, yes, we've gone through the bungee cord style bounce, you know, but yeah, the change has been big. Third quarter GDP will be the biggest quarterly rise in GDP we've seen in New Zealand's economic history. There's something around 10 to 12 percent, but we're still going to see the level of GDP well below where it was pre-COVID. Yeah, so we're still looking at what's going to shape the recovery. Obviously, there's a huge array of unknowns in regard to the virus itself. It looks like it's mutating. That's worrying around the globe. You know, I'm not convinced the elimination is the right strategy. It hasn't worked in other jurisdictions around the globe, although they don't have the advantage of having a, a big moat. And that's a pretty big advantage for a lot of countries around the globe, such as New Zealand. And if you've got you know, a population that's reasonably spread out, uh, of course, some countries or some areas such as Europe that it is basically impossible to contain. We know we've got a massive stimulus from the government and the RBNZ, but what people are not talking about enough is about the supply side. How fast can your economy grow? What can you do going forward? What are the conditions for attracting labour? Investment, sourcing goods, getting the right materials, and of course, how productive is your economy? Yeah, the building blocks across the economy start with supply. Yeah, scarce resources and how we utilise those resources. Yeah, one of the big problems what we've got at the moment is that those resources are becoming increasingly scarce. And New Zealand's economic model has been very reliant upon immigration for a long time. Now, that's caused nasty byproducts in the form of, it was seen, housing market, obviously, after the races, pressure on infrastructure. But it's been a big source of input into labour supply for businesses. It's been a big input into the horticultural sector. You know, the dairy sector has been reliant upon offshore labour for a long time. You know, what we're seeing at the moment across New Zealand is, of course, at a time, we've seen 205,000 people on the job seeker benefit and a rise in people in other benefits, including the solo parent allowance. We're seeing some sectors out there at the moment that are screaming out for staff. Yeah, they're really worried within pockets of the agriculture sector at the moment, whether they're going to have the people there on the ground to pick the likes of the fruit. You know, I'm hearing more anecdotes of kids dropping out of school in the South Island to go drive the tractor because the people from the UK are no longer coming in because we can't get them in. And one of the big problems we've also got at the moment is that yeah, we rely on you know, offshore markets for high-tech skills, civil engineers, you know, the people that do this expert, expert tunnelers. If, if something breaks down, how do we fix a piece of equipment? We typically bring the technician in from overseas. Well, now you can hardly bring that technician in from overseas. Yeah, so I have some real concerns at the moment that a lot of underinvestment in people the human capital over a long time is now, I think, potentially becoming a little bit of an Achilles heel. What we're also seeing is massive divergence in regard to the impact on the supply chain. Now, the good news for New Zealand is that if I look at export performance in New Zealand over COVID, you know, pat on the back to the farmers, we've kept that supply chain open and the world has still wanted to eat. 
Now we're starting to see an impact on the pricing side, what people have now prepared to pay because they're not eating out as much. And the, it's been the length of the lockdown in various jurisdictions that is starting to have that impact on discretionary spend. But by and large, the export side of New Zealand has remained operational. Where we're starting to see some big divergence at the moment is, is on imports and particularly sourcing stuff from key markets. Yeah, China was the problem during the first you know, lockdown. Yeah, we're talking April, sorry, March and April. But Chinese imports from China are now broadly back at levels we were seeing in 2019. Where we're seeing real problems at the moment is sourcing materials items from countries such as France, Germany, uh, the United Kingdom. Yeah, United Kingdom imports from the United Kingdom are well down and they're continuing to track lower. Now, some of that reflects soft demand, but it's also just a, the reality of, of sourcing items, you know, finding that jet ski, finding that whiteware product. Yeah, so now, if you're going out shopping at the moment, I'd suggest that the first thing you ask is, that, what do you have that's readily available? Because if it's not readily available, I'd be pretty cautious in regard to when the good actually turn up versus when they say it was going to turn up. And this is a supply side issue because yes, we bring in an awful lot of items that are consumption goods, but we bring in an awful lot of items as well that are what's called intermediate and capital goods. Yeah, these are things that are inputs into the production process. Yeah, they're items that appear on, on building sites. It's various, you know, heavy track, heavy equipment that's used in the production process. And that supply chain, I think, is going to get pretty heavily distorted over the coming few months. Just another side issue. I talked at the start that when you go through challenging economic times, points of vulnerability can become real issues. What we've seen in New Zealand and known about in New Zealand for quite a while is that school attendance has been dropping. Yeah, way back in 2015, 70% yeah, of kids were what's called regularly attending school. Now, to be regularly attending school, you needed to be there 90% of the time. Now, that ratio is now down to 57.7%. It's dropped 12 percentage points in the past four years. And it'll be down even lower now. Now, where that trend is most stark is in low decile schools, Maori Pacifica, and in primary schools, it is the year one, two, eight kids where we're seeing the biggest decline in school attendance. Now, this is the feeder system into the workforce of tomorrow. And if those kids are not turning up to school today, I start to worry about what that feeder system is going to look like. And I worry about what their financial skills are going to look like going forward. Now, the Ministry of Education defines this they think it is now a systemic problem. Well, when you've got a systemic problem, you don't stand idly side, you actually get stuck in and you do something about it. And one of the disappointing aspects of the pre-election debate was that these things, which to me are Economics 101, were not more hotly debated because these are not systemic trends that we're not what we want to see and extend. Just in regard to the recovery, well, the recovery is obviously evolving. Uh, the good news is that we had the post-lockdown bounce. So June quarter GDP was a shocker. September quarter is going to show a big bounce when we get it. But where we're sort of heading into at the moment is 
a lot more of a leveling out process, a little bit more of a bump and grind style economy where sort of two steps forward, one step back. It's where a V-shaped outcome sort of morphs into a year and it takes the economy quite a long time to get back to 2019 levels. But what I'm seeing more and more of across New Zealand at the moment is that this K-shaped dynamic. Now there's some, some firms out there at the moment that are absolutely hot to trot. They've never been busier. You know, they've managed to repitch, reorientate their business and they're off to the races. What I'm also seeing in some parts of New Zealand is they are struggling and they're on borrowed time. Now they're gonna be real problem children in 2021. And a lot of this reflects the fact that this is not your normal downturn and then recovery. You know, it's a supply side shock that's got heavy demand overlay. And of course, what we saw was that heading into this, we were heading into this exponential pace disruption. And COVID has just been the lightning rod in regard to accelerating a lot of changes. Yeah, the move towards more online-based platforms, working from home. Yeah, and that shifted demand out into the suburbs at the expense of the CBDs. So there's a whole lot of effects that we need to think about. And they're all different. The one that economists typically talk about is the income effect. Yeah, the impact of less income, jobs, and for New Zealand, and the coming sort of few months, it's yeah, fewer tourists, migrants, and the global sector. The one that has surprised us and is not talked about enough is the substitution effect. Now, the substitution effect is normally when your income takes a hit, you trade down to save money and you buy a cheaper product, particularly at the supermarkets. Yeah, this time, the substitution effect has been massive because we're finding different ways of spending money. And the prime example here is the eight to $9 billion worth of money that we used to spend overseas. Well, we can't go overseas at the moment, so it's being redirected into new cars, spa pools, helping Johnny and Jenny you know, buy the first time because the kids are no longer going overseas to buy their, to, to do their OE. So they might have 20,000 saved up for their OE. So that 20,000 becomes a deposit on the house and mum and dad, they're not traveling either. So they throw out a little bit more money as well. You're buying and working from home is becoming you know, negative for CBD, but it's been really bullish for the suburbs. You have people shifting into different regions, looking for the lifestyle. You're working from home means you need an additional bedroom. So people are looking at different sort of houses. And of course you need to have that house set up with, with IT equipment. Yeah, so we are seeing this real acceleration, strong substitution switching effect, which is accelerating that K-shot dynamic across New Zealand. But of course, other parts, you know, CBDs, you walk down the locks of Auckland, you walk down Lambton Key and Wellington, and they are really struggling. Uh, the stimulus effect is massive, but you know, there's winners and losers. I'll talk a little bit of that down the track. Uh, and then there's the pricing and productivity effect. Yeah, when you see disruption to supply chains, sourcing skilled staff, that's actually inflationary. Now, weak demand in some sectors, such as tourism, we're seeing the classic response, you cut the price. So we saw inflation numbers last week that were pretty soft. But I do worry going forward, or at least ponder going forward, that as we start to see more of the supply side restrictions coming through, is sourcing that skilled labor, you're getting that good, that is not a deflationary dynamic. 
it is an inflationary one. So I think we're going to start to see increasing dispersion here between you know, a bit of inflation in some parts and a lot of deflation in others. And then we've got the uncertainty effect. And I talked a little bit earlier on about you know, the structural change effect. You know, firms that are embracing the new normal versus those that are not. Uh, the Reserve Bank's obviously been off to the races supporting New Zealand. There's $150 billion worth of mortgages. That's about half of banks' total mortgage book that is going to get refinanced in the coming years. And odds are they're going to walk in and get a fixed mortgage rate of around 2.5%. Now, the weighted average mortgage rate at the moment on debt is 3.6%. Now, so, you, so your interest bill is going to go down about 30%. Yeah, that is a massive amount of money into people's pockets. But what it's also done is changed the numbers massively between renting versus buying subject to one caveat, which has been about if you've got the deposit. You know, if you're a low-income family or you've got low-income parents, it's pretty hard to get that deposit together. But if you've got high-income parents or you've got KiwiSaver and you've been putting that money away, well, your first-home buyers are absolutely in like Flynn. And I saw someone talking the other day about what's called FOMO. The market is now fear of, move, of missing out. And of course, the, the property market has confounded everybody. We've all been wrong, myself included. You know, I thought the market will be down. Well, the market has gone up and it just tells you that strong effect that the Reserve Bank is being prepared to do whatever it takes. But what we're seeing is that at the time that the property market's going up, we're still seeing this mismatch between Wall Street and Main Street. And the real way in regard to job seeking numbers is Auckland. Uh, because Auckland is going to see the impact of fewer migrants and tourism. And job-seeking numbers in Auckland are up about 50% since the start of the year. We're seeing less of a rise economic impact across particularly rural-aligned regions. And if I have a look at job ads as a share of 2019 levels, the weaker performer is Auckland, uh, Canterbury next. But we're seeing some parts of rural New Zealand your job ads are trading at higher levels than what they were in 2019. And that just tells you the rural heartland out there across New Zealand has actually been going pretty well. But of course, that might be a different story in 2021 if some pockets of the rural sector, particularly red meat, have less money in pockets. And of course, the horticulture sector has got to get the, the fruit off the trees. Uh, what we're seeing at the moment is obviously your bank deposits have absolutely surged since the start of the year. Yeah, they're up collectively in excess of 30 billion. Uh, and it's across the board, everybody is hoarding cash. Households, local government, non-for-profit you know, businesses. And that's diluting one channel by which monetary policy works. Your know, monetary policy works through a whole lot of channels, you know, what's called the wealth effect. You get asset prices up, your know, house prices are up to the tune of about $100 billion in the last 12 months. Yeah, that's worth, in regard to consumption, about $3 billion worth of potential uh, spending. Yeah, the wealth effects, about three cents out of wealth tends to get channeled into the New Zealand economy. Uh, investment is still being held back, price of credit versus availability. Uh, my personal view is that the household savings rate is set to absolutely soar. Uh, low deposit rates, I think, are going to encourage people to save an awful lot more uh, because they're going to need it. And I also suspect 
that the reverse mortgage market is going to go absolutely nuts. But of course, you know, money is appearing in people people's pockets. And if there's one thing we know across New Zealand, you know, New Zealanders love houses. Monetary policy is working, but it doesn't have the maximum punks. And of course, monetary policy cannot fix supply change. But if you look at change in household deposits in the last last 12 months, your household deposits in the last 12 months, you know, up 16 billion. And as I said earlier on, it's money being parked in temporary accounts. It's in, it's in a product where you get no yield. And that just tells me that people are out there, they're nervous. Your term deposit balances are slowly rolling off. They're slowly rolling off because people are not breaking the things because you get pretty big penalties. But we are starting to see that run rate, it's about a billion a month. And of course, we're seeing that on the other side where savings and transaction balances are, are moving up because there's just an awful lot of uncertainty that's coming through. We've just started to see in the past month, the household borrowing numbers are now starting to match the increase in household deposits. Yeah, prior to that, we were seeing deposit growth massively outstrip household lending growth. Now that balance has started to shift. So it sort of tells me that yeah, that fear of moving out, missing out dynamic is really moving at a faster rate. Uh, interesting dynamic out there at the moment is that New Zealand, if I compare us to Australia, the United States, the United Kingdom, or pretty well most countries around the globe, I actually think we're in better shape. So it's somewhat puzzling that we've got the lowest expectations for the official cash rate. Because generally speaking, the lower the official cash rate goes, that's basically telling you that you've got a weaker economic story. But what we've got out of the Reserve Bank is what's called a least regret strategy. And they're not going to dilly-dally around. They've got ammunition, so they've decided to use it. And they've put some lovely quotes, and then I'll let people read the, the full sentence. But the, the quick translated version is, we want house prices to go up. They view falling house prices as more of a financial stability risk than rising house prices. You know? But what we are starting to see is a bit more of a chorus out there in regard to you know, what's called fixing the policy mix. Uh, my personal view is that we want monetary policy to be doing a little bit less and the Minister of Finance and the government to be doing a little bit more. Now, now that approach needs discipline on the other side because if the government does more, you're borrowing more and you're going to have a more of a debt problem down the track. But I think the, the policy mix we've got at the moment is getting too far out of whack and it's exacerbating pre-COVID themes and the full income inequality and housing affordability. And I do worry about the blowback of this down the track. Once again, going back to the statements earlier on in regards to being that balance between the economic versus the social side of the ledger. Uh, the government's obviously deploying, throwing an awful lot of money at, at this. The, the COVID relief package was 63 billion. I think at last estimates, it's down to, to 58. Uh, the full extent of the wage subsidy wasn't fully deployed yet, but they've got money in the tin. And the good news is that a lot of that fiscal package is being deployed as we speak. But of course, if you look at it, it steps down over 2021. 
And that's where I think we're still going to see these supply chain disruptions, the impact of lower migration, the impact of the tourism sector is going to be a late 2020 and 2021 sort of story. The glass are full, the government's stepping up. There's a lot of money being deployed. Uh, glass half empty is that it's actually stepping down. And we actually need a little bit more money to be deployed, in my view, in the next 12 months, not just to take out that insurance policy against what I think is going to be a pretty tough time for a lot of sectors, but to give that better policy mix. There's a bit of a tension at the moment in regard to government debt levels. They are not a problem at the moment because interest rates are low. I would not be banking on interest rates remaining low 10 to 15 years down the track. Now, the government forecasts, the blue line, basically show that if we can tighten the belt and get government spending reasonably contained and get the economy yeah, back on track, we can get government debt back down to 48% of GDP by 2034. In cricketing parlance, that is taking two sessions on a five-day cricket match to get 10, round, 10 runs. Yeah, you're not turning the dot. Now, the economic assumptions in regard to government spending to get debt back down to those sort of levels are about as realistic as Italy winning the Rugby World Cup. They are just not feasible, particularly in regard to infrastructure spend. So if I put some realistic numbers in there, the orange or the grey line, they show best-case scenario, debt as a share of GDP is going to be flat or the more realistic trajectory is that debt is going to be rising as a share of GDP. And the big problem here is that you know, some 500-pound gorillas, such as New Zealand superannuation, they're really starting to bite. You know, at the moment, NZS is around 35-odd percent of total welfare benefit spending. By 2034, I think the number is it's going to be about 60% of total welfare benefit spending. Now, that is a major structural problem. Now, to me, the message in all this is that unless we unlock a growth miracle or are prepared to go ridiculously tight on spending, which would make Stephen Joyce and, and Bill English look like what they did between 2010 and 2018 look pretty generous, you know, taxes are headed north. Now, we're going to get into this sort of debate at some stage. It's just a question of when, look, Final slide, just to sort of wrap things up. Uh, I'm still very big on this whole idea that we're in a, a non-linear environment. Yeah, we need to think about one plus one equal 11, not two. Yeah, think about that K-shaped cycle. We're seeing this increasing dispersion, divergence between firms that are in the top part of the K versus the others. Economists, in my mind, are talking too much about demand. Uh, the real issue is supply, and the supply side, the rubber's going to start to hit the road late this year and in 2021. Uh, the substitution effect has been a real pleasant surprise, and it's actually shown that people are adapting. Yeah, the new normal working from home, embracing technology, yeah, these sort of things are real, and they show that the economy is accepting change and we're getting on with life. Now, there's still a long way to go, but that substitution effect, as money gets redeployed and people are actually you know, repitching their business and try to you know, hoover up some of that money, 
It's been a real source of strength across New Zealand and long may it continue. Inflation, we saw the numbers last week. Inflation is not an issue uh, at the moment. You know, demand, what's called demand pull inflation. You know, that's where you're priced to the market. And if people are not buying, you got to discount the stuff. So, yeah, we're seeing inflation dissipate a little bit. Yeah, but I think at some stage, those supply constraints, we cannot ignore them because ultimately they're going to put a little bit of inflation into the system. The question is when. As I said earlier on, there's $30 billion worth of additional deposits within the banking sector that is sitting there. It is lazy money that is looking for a home somewhere to what to do with it. So I hope you're all going to be pretty busy. Uh, the RBNZ, yeah, hat tip to them yeah, for going big. You know, there are structural problems if you let unemployment rate rise, particularly Maori Pacific unemployment tends to be double the national average during a downturn. So the Reserve Bank, you know, being prepared to act has actually been really pleasing. But in my view, you know, we need to be focusing a lot more on fiscal policy. Yeah, we want to get a little bit more better balance into both the policy mix, because that, I think, a better policy mix would get a little bit more balance into the economic versus the social side of the lecture. I do worry that we're in an environment where social angst is going to start to rise. And as I said earlier on, I can't get the numbers to stack up. Unless we make some real big, bold changes in regard to delivery of, of government services, which is extremely difficult, then taxes are going to follow the Edmunds cookbook. Yeah, they're going to be sure to rise. Uh, so I suspect yeah, what we're going to see in the next sort of two to three months, where the top tax rate goes from 33 to 39 cents, that's going to be the first step of many. And I'll wrap it up there and happy to take questions. Awesome. Thanks. Um, Kim, if you can just stop sharing your screen, that would be great. Great. So I've got a couple of questions. We've only got about seven or eight minutes left because we've got to go slightly early. So here's a good question for you, Kim. Australia have is now out of recession, according to the numbers. Australia New Zealand dollar has dropped from 90, 0.97 to 0.90 ish, and is now climbing currently at 0.9408. Are we going to see further New Zealand dollar appreciation? Where do you think this is headed? That, that's, that's a really good question because that, this, this, this puts the Reserve Bank in an absolute bind, doesn't it? We've got the lowest expectation for the cash rate out of Australia, the United States, and we've still got, what, where's the Kiwi Aussie dollar at the moment? 94 cents. And yeah. Kiwi is up around 66, 67. Imagine if they back away yeah, where the currency is going to be. Now, now, my personal view is that the Reserve Bank should back away. I don't think they can actually afford to at the moment because otherwise the currency is just going to get turbocharged north. If I look at your Kiwi Aussie at the moment, in New Zealand, I think marginally is in a better economic space, uh, both, both in the short term, but I think strategically. Like if we think about some big major themes that are going on around the globe at the moment, the emergence of China is more of a powerhouse. Yeah, the demand for consumption-style goods, the soft products as opposed to the hard commodity-style style products. I think the big story here is that you normally at this juncture of the cycle, the Kiwi Aussie dollar would have an eight in front of it. In fact, it's normally got a seven in front of it when New Zealand goes into recession. 
But this time around, it's been a pretty consistent nine. Yeah. I think the story here is so that we, we're going to trade, I think, for an elevated level for an extended period until we see the advantage strongly go in Australia's favour economically. And I don't think that story is immediately around the corner. Okay, here's another one for you. Um, what are your thoughts about IMF's comments that New Zealand GDP will shrink by 2025, whereas Australia will grow? Will shrink by 20 to 25? Will, sh will shrink by 2025, whereas Australia's economy will grow? I'm not sure the context of that. I didn't read that in the report. So, Okay, but, I'll move on then because I haven't read it. Both, both countries are springboarding out of recession. Right? Real short and sharp recession. Yeah, one quarter. But it was an absolute doozy, but it was a supply-induced recession as opposed to being dominated by demand one. So we've, we've bounced really out. The big issue for, for all countries around the globe is that how quickly can you get that level of GDP back to pre-COVID levels, which is sort of like the normal. And, and in New Zealand, like the expectation is we're probably going to get the level of GDP back to 2019 levels sometime in 2022. But you are going to see some sectors, some regions are going to hit that target an awful lot earlier. Mm. Yeah, we saw Zero's data came out, and they've got a lot of small businesses that are trading higher today than where they were in 2019. But if you look at a lot of industries out there, predominantly tourists and these sort of places, yeah, it's going to take an awful long time. That's right. Um, here's another one for you. Can you explain the implications of some or all of the debt was written off? How would it be, what would that look like if the debt was written off? Could it be written off? Yeah, well, I guess the way that potentially, yes. But you start to think, the, the, way, the way I explain this is that think about the game of Monopoly, right? And we've got the, the, the banker and the rule of Monopoly is that the banker never goes bust. So that can be uh, the Reserve Bank or the government. So technically we can print all the money we like and we've written it off to ourselves. So we've, we've given it to ourselves so we could technically write off that debt. Now, if the banker starts playing rogue at Monopoly, are you going to still want to play Monopoly at that table? Mm. Or are you going to want to play Monopoly with somebody else? And, and this is the issue. If you, if you start showing roguish behaviour and you start just, you know, well, we're going to cancel that debt, uh, all the other global bondholders going to be prepared to take, you know, invest in New Zealand bonds. And there's a general expectation out there. The Reserve Bank is saying, but we can probably... The Reserve Bank can probably hold 50% of New Zealand's bonds. They can't hold all. Now, there is a side issue here. What if all the Western world decided to cancel the debt to themselves? So everybody did it. Now, that's got a possibility. But then you start to think about what are the downstream implications of that? What about the emerging markets, the poorer countries? If the Western world, if you're cancelling all your debt, why can't we cancel ours? And by the way, you hold our debt. So you, so you really get into the law of unintended consequences and real problems down the track in regard to what it signals to investors. There's, yeah. there's a reason Argentinian interest rates are not low. So I've got another one um, going in a different direction with net immigration. So sh this is, say, surely the net immigration figures disguise the real nature of the impact of net immigration. 
The Commodore in charge of quarantine mentioned about a month ago that they had processed 40,000 through the facilities. Given most of these are returning Kiwis, likely permanent returnees, and those leaving are most likely temporary visitors and workers, isn't the net effect still strong for housing and consumption, et cetera? It's supportive, but it's nothing like we've been used to. Yeah. Right, so, so if I go back and do, look, if you ever look at New Zealand's population growth, yeah, pre-COVID, it was running anywhere between 80 to 100,000 a year. And about 30,000 of that was natural population. And then you put, you put migration on top of that, anything from 50, 60, 70, 80,000. Yeah. Now we can sort of debate about how strong the migration numbers are, but there's certainly nowhere near up around those sort of levels. Right, so let, let's even be generous and say, we're gonna get migration in the next 12 months of 20, 20 maybe 30,000. Yeah, so yeah, if, if you've got a population growth of 90,000 divided by 2.5 people per house, yeah, you, you need to be building 40,000 houses a year. Yeah. Like if you, if you divide 50,000 by 2.5, yeah, the number of houses you need to be building a year, it yeah, drops down to yeah, 25 to 30, something yeah, less than 25,000. Yeah, so the, the whole demand equation changes massively. But the big uncertainty here is that, yeah, how long has that changed the migration, you know, that structural shift? How long is it going to take place for? Yeah, certainly yeah. it looks like there's, there's an appetite for people to come here, but I suspect there's also going to be an appetite for people to go to Australia because Australia's not looking in bad shape either now that yeah, the, the Melbourne mess has been cleaned up. Yeah, and I think also we're, we're going to see, uh, it's going to be interesting in 18 months actually when, you know, the borders do open up. Hopefully, you know, we have a vaccine and borders do open up and we see our young people who haven't been able to travel you know, two or three years worth of young people wanting to do the OE and yeah. X next because they're all desperate to get out already, right? So you're going to yeah. see a, a mass exodus leave the country. Then we're going to see a whole lot of people that see New Zealand as really a, a good place to come for their families in the future in case something like this happens again. So a mass influx of a whole lot of different looking people, you know, different mix of what we've seen before coming to New Zealand, I think. Do you think we'll see that? Yeah, and, and it's just, yeah, the the economic effects over the coming three to four years in regard to everything is going to be accelerated. That they'll be a lot more wavy. Yeah, there'll be there'll be a lot more you know, booms to and, and reverses out, out the other side. And, and that's just the nature of the where we're in. We're, we're in an environment where it's not just about you managing demand. It's about managing your know, supply and incredibly big behavioral shifts. Yeah, that are yeah. going on. Your people are sitting back and having a good, cold, hard look at themselves and thinking, well, what should life actually be about? Yeah. Yeah, I found that really good in regard to lockdown one. And yeah, some of the stuff was, was really pleasant, walking up around the hills, cycling with the kids, being able to walk down the main road of Karori, and I'm talking the middle of the road. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. I hope you find it useful. Make sure you subscribe hit the like button because more good stuff coming soon. Thank you.